Well, I hope you're up for a little competition. She's got a power tool in the bedroom, dear. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking to myself, what Mrs. Doubtfire quote could I start with that would make Pete the most uncomfortable? <laughs> and I went with the vibrating sex toy one because I was that, like, that's the one. Yeah. That was one of the vote I got, like, as a vote that what that quote was given as well. And apparently, just as Robin William does in that scene where they shot that, I guess he just went like super hardcore Robin Williams and just like, you know, got out of hand, out of hand as he does. And obviously, <laughs> was quite, quite offside. But, but somehow it still made it in. Well, who knows? Maybe that was like the base level. Like maybe the things he went off the cuff on got even more intense. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure there's all kinds of shit that was was cut. Oh yeah, we're just like, okay, just go, and and they're like, okay, well, we shot 14 hours today. Can't can't use any of it, but um, yeah. well, that was good. Okay, back to the makeup chair, Robin. Yeah. Uh, but hello and welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Movie Man Podcast. I am Peter, and that's my co-host Brady. And we are here to continue our journey back in time, where we go through the years of film one at a time, back in time. And we have votes. We have votes where, uh, whether it's Brady and I coming up with film ideas, whether it's Patreon supporters getting their increased say to help give some votes, suggestions. Uh, regardless, we let the audience choose what we review. And this is no different where we had four pretty well-received, well, two very well-received and then some other periphery well-received films. But we had four um, voting options. And I, I do want to get in the habit more of like going through them, not like painstakingly, but just dropping a minute or so. Just, you know, why, what are these films as far as if I'm not familiar with it, if the listener's not familiar with it, obviously we'll get to Mrs. Doubtfire because uh, that's the theme of the episode. I've got a bit of a teaser. I'm going to drop a few minutes later on about Free Willy. That was one of my options. A few people voted for it, so just coincidentally I decided, hey, why don't I just watch it? I'll chat about it. Do you want to know something? There was... Yes. I've never seen it. Oh, really? I think we owned on VHS, because it, it, like, you know, keep in mind this was, it was the 90s. Yeah. And so if you didn't have it on VHS, you didn't watch yeah. it. Yeah. You know, how were you? Maybe you had it. Maybe your maybe it was on a tape that your grandmother <laughs> recorded off of television. So there's commercials mm-hmm. and shit. But like, you still you'd watch it over at her house. Mm-hmm. We didn't own it. We owned. I'm gonna have to touch base with my sister. I think we owned Free Willy Three. <laughs> it I think became she was, a franchise. Like yeah. it really became a franchise. I think she was maybe gifted it. I'm looking it up here and trying to see. Yes, it was Free Willy 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was it. It was all I remember, and maybe this is true of all of them, mm. um, but it had like a big, like a lot of the cast and, and some of the theme of it was centered around like indigenous culture. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, 
And so she had Free Willy 3, and it was <laughs> it was part of, like, a, a gift set thing where oh, wow. it also came with, like, um, there's the main character in the movie wears some sort of little necklace. Mm. It's like a little hand-carved orca. Yes. So um, checks out. Checks out. Yeah, and so it could have been Free Willy 2. I don't know. Maybe he wears it in all three of them. I, I, I don't know. Mm. Um, but it's this it's this necklace that he wears. And so we had we had one. Like it came saran-wrapped oh, in. Oh, that the, sounds familiar. I didn't own... I've never seen the sequels, but I think I've seen the necklace. I remember, like, I think maybe just walking by at a department store, seeing the VHS, and I think seeing, like, the necklace on the outside, that this is ringing a bell. Yeah, I literally just sent you, I sent you a link <laughs> to it. Um, but yeah, so we owned, we owned that. Um, Fair. And so that was, and I saw that maybe twice, but it was like sure. my sister's VHS. Right. And I think Oh, as a, yeah, I totally, I had one of these. Didn't yeah. even see the third movie, I had one of these. And I think... Like I saw it once or twice when like I would watch it when she like she had it on or something. She was four years younger than me. And but I didn't watch it a lot and I definitely never sought out the others. Right. I think mostly probably it being my sister's VHS kind of put me off of the franchise. Sure. Just because I was like, you know, again, it was the nineties and so yeah. it was like and I was a kid and I was like yeah. Oh yeah, this like this movie, this like mm-hmm. this movie about marine biology that my sister owns. Like that's a that's a chick film. I'm not gonna watch that. That's stupid. But, <laughs> I, Which, I get as a that. kid, that's you know that was the mentality. Oh, yeah. And I get that. And I I just remember there's like it seems there's these phases in just different gen. Maybe it's different generations, but there's like the hot. Oh, I want to be this when I grow up, and you know. Oh, marine biologist was it, man? For oh, girls, Marie, I feel like there. So, like, there's like early childhood educator. There's That's marine another. biologist. Yep. There's all these like hot button. Like, I'm going to school for this, and then when people go to school, or for forensic science is another one. They're like, in, oh, in my yeah. late tw- eight, like late teens and mm-hmm. early twenties. Yeah, you would not believe. <laughs> How many girlfriends I yeah. had Holy that Anna. were in school to be an early childhood educator. Oh, it was the the bees. And, and I started to like I was it it asked me questions about like am I just into early childhood educate like what is happening? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, every girl wanted to be a marine biologist. And then when they found out it wasn't like swimming with whales, they're like, screw this noise. <laughs> yeah. That it was like, okay, move to move in our, in our country, in Canada, yeah. move to British Columbia. And like right? check you plankton could, samples. You couldn't stay like, in Ontario and swim with the dolphins. That wasn't, no. that wasn't going to happen. So move to, yeah. And then spend your, spend your days in a lab. Yeah, like, exactly. Doing paperwork. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't what they swimming with the dolphin. Yeah. wanted it to be. Yeah. yeah. Play with it. Play with a sea cucumber. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, we'll get to Free Willy a bit later. I, I I am going to take some time to talk about that. Benny and June was an interesting one because have that you was seen a rec- it? so that was a recommendation you made. I mm. have not. And it's interesting Ooh. because 
I I know you didn't recommend it to me, but you put made it a, a recommendation by making it a vote option. So that uh-huh. was interesting. My wife, like a decade ago, was like, "Oh, this is a cute movie," and I'm like, "Oh, fair enough." Still haven't gotten around to seeing it, oh, but especially man. some people that I saw voting for it were reminding me, like, "Oh, you like this movie." That's interesting. So the more and more and more people that are in their own way pushing the envelope of that movie, saying, hey, this is worth your time. I'm just intrigued by it. And I'm going, hey, early Johnny Depp, different things I've heard. I'm, it's it's at least caught my attention. Early Johnny Depp. And then what's, um, what's this other actor's name? He's in a lot of, I feel like a lot of 90s stuff. Um, oh. Uh, do, 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 where is he? Aiden Quinn. Oh, okay. Aiden Quinn. What was he in? I'm not recognizing him from, from the what he's known. For, like, I must have known him from some niche stuff. Because mm. when you pull him up on IMDb and they list, like, the four things that he's best known for, the only one that I recognize <laughs> is Benny and June. Um, okay. But, yeah. Anyways. Mm. Cool. And, um, so, yeah. Definitely looks like a very interesting artistic movie. And uh, and then Grumpy Old Men, which I have not seen, but I think <gasps> I've I think I've seen the sequel because I think okay. it's on like a cruise ship or something. No, 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 no. Okay, that's called Out to Sea. Okay, so here's the thing. Listen, <laughs> listen. There was I don't care how much time this takes. There was a incredible in the in the twentieth century. There was an incredible comedy duo. And mm-hmm. Walter Matthau, yep. who Walter Matthau was Mr. Wilson and Dennis yeah. the Menace. He was yep. Um, yep. Einstein in the Einstein movie. He was, you know, all kinds of stuff. Yep. Um, so him and, and Jack, Jack Lemon, Jack Lemon, Yep. And they were comedy cold. They are mm-hmm. the odd couple. Which I have seen the show. Well, not, not like every episode, but I have seen. Okay. Episodes. So they're not in the show. In the show, they were... Oh. So, originally, it was a movie. Um, it's a movie oh. from 66? 68. Oh, okay. So, 1968, there was, there was a oh, movie. Oh, okay. And then, in 1970, there was a show starring Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. Oh. Um, yeah. So, that's not... That's not... That's not seeing Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. Huh. Okay. But they were in, yeah, they were in Out to Sea together, which was... Oh, maybe that's they, what I've seen, Out to Sea. They were just one of the... Yeah, that's the one that happens on a cruise ship. Oh, okay. Um, so there's, they were in Out to Sea together. They were in Grumpy Old Men together. They were Odd Couple and Odd Couple 2, which right. Odd Couple 2 came out like late 90s. Uh, um, okay. But it was one of those stories where they were just inseparable. Like if you were hmm. doing a comedy and you were getting one of them... <laughs> You're you were <laughs> a fool not to get the other. Right. It was also one of those really, really cute stories where, so Jack Lemon passed away in June of 2001. Mm. And Walter Matthau passed away in July of 2000. So six months mm. later, Jack Lemon went. And oh, it was man. just kind of one of those like, yeah. you had to wonder, was it a, was it a Carrie <laughs> Fisher, Debbie Reynolds situation? Right. Where there was just kind of no point. Yeah. But no, these two were incredible. 
absolutely incredible together. Um, they were both in a movie called The Fortune Cookie back in 60, that one's 66. Okay. So yeah, so just lots of movies that they did together. Um, I, I have, so I have several like framed autographs, like a, a, you know, a picture of the actor and then their signature on a little piece of paper nicely framed next to it within the Mm. same frame. Um, One of those is Walter Matthau. I'm missing, I don't have my Jack Lemmon yet. Um, So there's that. The main characters from The Odd Couple are named Oscar Madison and Felix Unger. Uh, my girlfriend and I had a cat for a year before we had to put him down slightly after his first birthday for health complications. His mm. name was Felix. And everyone oh, always assumed cool. he was Felix the cat. And we're like, no, no, he's Felix Unger. He's, right. he's Jack Lemon's character. And yep. the kitten that we got back this past summer is named Oscar. Hmm. So we have, we've, I've named two cats after their hmm. characters now. That's cool. Okay. And finally, the most important thing, I have Grumpy Old Men and Grumpy Old Men 2 on Blu-ray. And the next time I'm in town (laughs) and I'm not taking no for an answer, we are setting up your Blu-ray player. Okay. I'll order a pizza or okay. whatever. We'll get yep. party mix and we get sure. you know, whatever. Yeah. And we're going to sit down and we're going to have a back-to-back grumpy old man marathon and you yeah. will wet your pants. <laughs> it is the most, because it's like, it's just that great, it's it's humor that doesn't exist anymore. It's just like right. real humor. They're not relying on like dick jokes and 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 weed <laughs> jokes and drinking right. jokes and all of this like stupid shit that you see nowadays, right? Like yep. it's just like yep. old fashioned excellent comedy, right? And, uh, and it's happening. I may even make. I may. I what'll likely end up happening now that I know. You know, there's movies that you hold near and like so near and dear to your heart that when there's a friend that you find out that hasn't seen them, you're like, okay, right. we're making a point of seeing this. I did this with you with Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, all three of them. I will likely lie to you and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I happen to be in town on such and such day <laughs> like when really tomorrow, I'm making a trip. Tomorrow, just to, you'll yeah, be I'll be there, there tomorrow. We're gonna, you know, we'll sit and watch these. But I, oh, I <laughs> come hell or high water. We don't even have to do an episode on them, but we should. Sure. We don't even have to do an episode on them, um, but we are going to sit, you and I are going to sit and watch the Grumpy Old Men 1 and Grumpy Old Men 2, and I mm-hmm. forbid you, you are forbade <laughs> from watching them prior to that, or looking sure. up anything about them, or or anything. They're so freaking good, man. Oh, wow. Well, I think maybe that might be our next movie men uh, company retreat because Face Off really didn't land that well. As far as like it was a fun time, but the movie wasn't that great. So maybe I'm this would be redemption. Fairly certain Carl's seen the first one. Mm. I'm not sure if he's seen the second one. And regardless, he would totally be down because the relationship between the grumpy, like grumpy old man is about two guys that have been friends their entire life. And now Mm. they're old and they're grumpy towards each other, but at heart they're, they're best friends for life. And it is Carl and I to a T like these two guys greet each other. And it's like, 
hi, you moron, morning, dickhead. Like, that's just their, that's, that's right. the, and it's like Carl and I through and through. Every time I call Carl, he answers the phone, hey, stupid. Like, it's just, yeah, we're, absolutely this has to happen and it has okay. to happen we'll do like a we'll do a valentine's day movie men complete you know why not <laughs> why not? nothing nothing more romantic than your <laughs> wife won't mind us doing that on valentine's day right yeah you've got nothing not. planned okay good all right let's get to mrs doubtfire shall we uh yeah yeah did you uh, so you sort of tipped me off that there was some Robin Williams things happening. Is mm-hmm. that happening now or later? Probably not. It'll probably like in, be in the meat. Okay. In the meat of the episode. Okay. In yeah. meaty. Uh meaty. do you have trivia? Yeah. Um little tidbit housekeeping trivia to start with. Okay. Wild. Mm-hmm. Second highest grossing film of t- 1993 was this film. Only Wild Very... because it should have been number 1. Well, but Jurassic Park was a real killer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. Uh, Tim Allen was offered both the roles of Mrs. Doubtfire and Stu. Stu. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't see it. No. I love Pierce Brosnan. It was Wouldn't a great, great casting choice. Uh, true or false, Robin Williams' brother actually plays Daniel Hillard's brother, the studio makeup artist. Oh, oh false. That's um, uh, Harvey Firestein. Hmm. You're correct. It is yeah, false. Super false. How, however, the actor playing the bartender at the pool scene is actually Robin Williams' uh, half brother. So Robert, oh, really? Robert Williams. Oh, really? That's yeah. two Rob Williams. That's <laughs> yeah. a little left up, but okay. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say it. My Um, final trivia question is, what preparation was needed for Robin Williams in the scenes where he played Mrs. Doubtfire? So was it simply that he needed to just put on a prosthetic mask like we see in the movie? Was it several hours of studio level makeup and effects? Or was it, you know, 30 minutes of, you know, just around the house uh, makeup and uh, just doing what a normal person that age would do with makeup and kind of you know using at home tricks to get it done well so you're at a disadvantage here because it is a movie that's important to me and near and dear so i've done i've done my due diligence i've watched i've watched reunions i've seen all the deleted scenes which oh by the way, i don't think i've oh done oh my god <laughs> There is a deleted scene that I maintain as a, like, some of them are just like, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, but there's yeah, a deleted scene that I will send you later that I maintain as an absolute travesty that it sure. wasn't left in the film, um, <laughs> which we'll get into. Um, but so I know that this was hours of makeup and that this was cutting edge. Like, it was, it was not just like, oh, well, we'll do what they've done on other films. This was like, it was a big deal, this makeup. Mm. It was. You're absolutely right. So it was several hours in a studio. Um, there were about, oh, I think eight different layers or eight different components. It was very complex. Took hours, about four to four and a half hours. So it was a complete process. It wasn't just slapping something on. So it was quite the ordeal. Pierce Brosnan tells a story about first arriving on set and not having seen pictures not having like didn't know what the Mrs. Mm. Doubtfire makeup was going to be 
Mm-hmm. And sitting on a, a bench or something next to Robin in the makeup right. for yeah. a good five minutes mm-hmm. talking to him before Robin <laughs> started using his actual voice and Pierce almost shit himself. So it's, <laughs> it's it, but it just goes to show that like every so often yeah. in film, mm-hmm. we'll do something where in person, like we do this a lot with props. We do it with, with some makeup and stuff like that mm-hmm. where you go, well, but it'll play fine on camera. It'll look good on camera. Hmm. This looked good in person. Like in person, right. you yes. couldn't tell that this wasn't yeah. a 65-year-old woman. I heard other stories of other characters. I think one of the, maybe the son as well, with a similar experience where- Matthew Lawrence, yeah. Yeah, where he was in the room doing, maybe even this audition, I'm not sure what, but something similar where it wasn't until further in the process he went, wait, that is Robin Williams there. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible. Like, incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Incredible. There's, um, Matthew was, or Matthew, Robin was instrumental in not only some of the casting of the kids, Mm. but really in their ability to be able to do the film. Mm. I can't remember. It was either Matthew Lawrence or Lisa Jacob, who played Lydia, Mm. um, who I think it might have been Mara Wilson, who whose school because it's worth noting this is this is like we see mara wilson and we go okay yeah like miracle on 34th street Mm. and matilda and a simple wish and mrs debt like she's the 90s she's the female equivalent of macaulay culkin in the 90s right right? she's just like she was in everything this is her first role Hmm. this is introducing mara wilson Mm. um and I believe it was her and her school wasn't, her school was fighting back and basically said, you know, if she, if she misses the time that is required for her to miss to do this film, like she'll be expelled or she'll be like, her school just basically said no, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't going to cooperate until Robin got on the phone with the principal and like pleaded and like I, I, I just I can't wrap my head around being a principal of some bullshit backwater <laughs> school in the nineties, and and your phone rings and you know it's ah oh, it's whatever PTA leader or it's superintendent <laughs> whoever or it's you know what no no it's Robin Williams Robin Williams would like to talk to you to to try to convince you to let this little girl come and have the opportunity of a lifetime so i'm not sure if we're crossing stories or if there were two different stories but this for sure happened with lisa jacob the older daughter it may have been her it totally may have been her what actually because i just watched this interview last night Uh, she's probably her then she's from toronto well i don't know if she's from toronto but she was living in toronto and that's where her school was and nobody's from toronto yeah, like you said, she was getting either going to be expelled or threatening of getting expelled. Oh, yeah, it's totally and, her then. And Robin Williams actually sent a letter to the principal. But the real bollocks part of it is the principal framed the letter, put it up in his office, <laughs> and Wouldn't they you? still... and they Oh, have one hundo. <laughs> but they still expelled her. 
So she was like, Oh, holy shit. Yeah. So it's just Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, but uh hashtag worth it. Oh. Absolutely. Like just You know, like whatever. Like, come on. Yeah, whatever. I wanted to find out what school it was, but I didn't dig that deep and I was like, what am I gonna do? Throw some eggs at it, maybe make me feel better, but I didn't. Well, I, I mean, I live in Toronto, so I... <laughs> you got me. You got me. And back. I've got nothing planned for tomorrow. <laughs> I have to say, I, this is super random, but Bridges Restaurant, like if I were to ever start a restaurant, I want to start a restaurant named Bridges Restaurant. And, uh, would you have it be very similar? Yeah. I think I'd really? probably do it identical. Yeah. And we, I would try and that's get very Pierce similar Br- to us. And I would try to get Pierce Brosnan to come to like the opening night. That's that's not very similar to us. That's that's very <laughs> indicative of us. That's that's the difference between us. Right. Is I would have a totally different restaurant. Sure. And that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh cool. So Mrs. Just, Delfire. Let's do some initial impressions. Yeah. Um listen, I was I was raised on this film. Right? Like we we had it on VHS. It's one of, if not, no, I would say it's my mom's favorite Robin Williams film. Nice. There's no um, shame in that. So I I was certainly raised, and she'll she'll message me tomorrow as soon as this episode <laughs> goes up, and she'll be like, cause she did that the other day. Actually, she did that. She watched. She listened to our. Um, our top five Christmas movies episode. Oh, yes. Yep. And she messaged me and she said, oh my God, you were not watching Christmas Vacation too young. <laughs> and then she messaged me, uh, or it might've been a text message. I think it was a text message a couple of days ago. And she said, I, I, she'd listened to episode 250. Mm. And she said, you don't think that John Travolta is a good actor? Who are your parents? <laughs> like some, it's something to that effect. That's hilarious. And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't reply mm. to that one. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I replied to either, actually. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely raised on this movie. Um, this is the movie that got me into Aerosmith. Um, this is the movie that probably fundamentally, like aside from stuff like flubber mm. this would be the movie that got me into robin williams oh wow um because it's one of those films that has enough adult humor that's gonna sort of fly over kids heads but the concept of it and the the execution of it is still is still wildly entertaining to kids um yeah you know because you can put yourself in the kid's shoes and you can go like, well, what if my dad did this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, no, it was, this is a movie that has always, and and I can say with a great deal of confidence, will always be near and dear. Um, <laughs> and it's hard to, I'm I'm prepared, unless you say something that totally surprises me, <laughs> Um, it makes me rethink my life. I'm prepared to defend just about any grievance that may be thrown at this film today. 
That's funny. Because I think it's masterfully done. I think it's one of those mm. movies that is not only a classic and really great, mm-hmm. but just about anything that someone could poke a hole at it with, I can explain to you why that's intentional and why it's genius. Why this mm. is a very well thought out movie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? That's all. My initial impressions are, I love that we are reviewing this movie because I feel like we referenced it a little bit when we did our 007 series of all the Pierce Brosnan years where we just, I think we had a running joke, or at least we said it once where like, we should review Mrs. Doubtfire as part of this 007 series just because Pierce Brosnan is in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. That's why I've put together, I've (laughs) I've ranked it in all eight categories. (laughs) How would you rank the Bond girl in this movie? Um, <laughs> Sally Field. Oh, Sally Field is a 10 out of 10. I mean, what do you, you got to you know, love the say? independent woman. The know? whole time. Yeah. No, she's... <laughs> um, yeah, no. Iconic film. I remember growing up with it. I remember watching it in the hospital. I don't know even know why I was there. I wasn't like on death's doorstep. I was there for... I don't even know what. But Yeah, I, well, um, I think that's where most people are first exposed to it. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? It's hey, calm, it's fun. Hey, laughter is the greatest medicine. It is. As shown in Patch Adams. Uh, but yeah, I remember watching this as a kid in the hospital. I remember watching it growing up. Obviously, I grew up with it as well. But unlike certain movies where you watch it as a kid, I feel like this movie definitely has some legs. Obviously, it really holds up. Like you said, there's things that you glean from it watching it as an adult. And... Um, yeah, just for the accomplishment of what Robin Williams does in this. And I feel like just as an accomplishment for the film, I do think it has uh, some holds a candle and has some has some weight here where it has a bit of a commentary, a bit of reassurance to children who are part of mixed families, part of broken homes, or part of families that are going through some changing periods. And I feel like there's just something very commendable about that. Mm-hmm. And I'll end my initial impression by leading into one of our conversation topics here. Cause I, the only real conversation topics I have are more like pointed questions of what do you think about this? And this will be the first one. So Ooh, my hot that topic, my hot take is scenes with Mrs. Doubtfire. I found are more incredible than with Robin Williams himself. And I don't know what that means. And so I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not sure if it's just because of the comedic nature of Mrs. Doubtfire and the heartwarming nature of when she's on scene. So I'm not sure if it's that, or if I'm not sure if it's just, I, I don't know what it means. I might be digging too deep of thinking there's something deeper there. But my initial question then was, what does this mean for the greater body of work for Robbins Williams that I liked the scenes without him, quote unquote, and him as camouflage to someone else what are your top robin williams films like for me i think it's another film where he's not himself or he's not on screen i love aladdin that'd be my number one rendition oh, really that's your number one robin williams film yeah and i Which don't is not that... even like strictly a, uh, he's the most no name in it for sure of course a key um, a key player in that but you're right mm-hmm. he's not like the main character uh mrs doubtfire would probably be number two Goodwill Hunting, I got it three. 
And then four or five, I just kind of put Jack and Dead Poet Society in there. Well, just you said those two. top three. What the hell's happening? I, 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 I'm kind of playing. Like, I'm playing both sides because I, I can what give the question you five. <laughs> you want to <laughs> go five? You're welcome to. But we're, so we're, just in the general Robin Williams questions, what are your top Robin Williams films, and where does this rank on that? And these have to be in order. I did, yeah. So Aladdin okay. was like clearly number one, so, and then it went to Miss Doubtfire. And sorry, and what was number three? Oh, Goodwill Hunting. That Goodwill Hunting. Me. Jack. It was either it was either going to be Goodwill Hunting or po- Dead Poet Society for you. Just like knowing you, and and believe it or not, believe it or not, I put Dead Poet Society as number five. Jack number four. I'm not a huge Dead Poet Society person. I think it's overhyped. It's mid. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But John Williams in that is incredible, where okay. he gets on a knee with his kids and he says, you know, law, medicine, these are John all noble John Williams? Prof- Robin Williams. Ro- you know what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> Robin different, Williams. Uh, different, different, <laughs> different, different Williams. John, John Williams pops no out relation. and starts conducting. No, Robin Williams, yeah, when he just says, these are all noble professions, but that's not why we do things. Okay, well, you know, it's so, art that infuses us. In order. Am I going in order of... Which ones I think are his best films, or which ones I am most likely to put on and feel warm and fuzzy about? It it can go both ways. It might be a blend of the two. Like it's it it, it it's my, hard to my say. My top three are my top three, no matter which direction sure. I go. It yeah. just may yeah. the order may swap out a little bit. Sure, sure. Um. So okay. Number one. <sighs> How do I rank these top three? <laughs> right. Which order do I put them in? Because I'm going to regret it no matter no matter what I pick. I'm going to regret it. <laughs> For the rest of your life. Immediately following. Okay. I'm going to say number one is Mrs. Doubtfire. Wow. Yep. So this is it. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to say number two is Hook. Oh yeah, that made it. I I wondered. I so assumed that would make it for you. Yep. Number three is Bicentennial Man, right? Which you throw some praise for. I still need to see. Which if so, and this is I'm going warm fuzzy factor. If we of were course. going best films he's ever done, then Bicentennial <laughs> Man say. would be at the top. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to add a different one, which uh, is not comfortable. In one hour photo, I thought you were referring, oh, no, no, referring no, to that. No, no, that doesn't make my top five. It's um, not, it's not, but it's a, it's a great role that's very polar opposite to all these ones we're mentioning of his. And then four and five in no particular order mm-hmm. would be Good Morning Vietnam. I still need to see that. Interesting. Oh, yeah, okay. you do. Okay. We need to get to, we need to set aside a day. <laughs> Because I've got so many movies that I want to be in the room when you witness. <laughs> Grumpy old men. Grumpy old man and Good Morning Vietnam. Good yeah, morning, just like Vietnam. just like any party you've been to. <laughs> and then, and then a movie. Listen, a movie that like he's got some amazing things like Patch Adams, mm-hmm. Jack, um, Flubber is up there. Yeah, I remember Jum- seeing Flubber as a kid. Jumanji is up there for me. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not great, but it's a solid classic. Toys being a really weird movie, but <sighs> yeah, still I, the birdcage, him and Nathan, Nathan Lane. 
Mm-hmm. But honestly, from a sheer, and it's a crummy movie. Like on mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 58 tomato meter score and a 39 audience score. But something just about like it's Robin Williams being Robin Williams, I really get a kick out of his performance in the live action Popeye movie. Again, haven't seen. Interesting. Really? So, yeah, it's him as Popeye. Are you familiar with the cartoon? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it's him as Popeye and Shelley Duvall, who played the wife in The Shining, as as olive oil. And those are probably, like, some of the other actors in it are, are... serious actors sure given their day like paul l smith played bluto and um but but nowadays you wouldn't recognize really any of the other names Mm. um but it's 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 an incredible movie in that it's movie making like they don't do anymore like they built this full fishing village set, which is still hmm. sitting there and abandoned to this day, by the way. <laughs> um, but they just like built the set and hmm. and Robin's wearing these like prosthetic arm sleeves. So he's got like the big <laughs> tumorous Popeye arms. Right. And one eye always closed with a corn cob pipe. And he's like, <sighs> you can't understand half of what he's saying because he's saying it, he's imitating Popeye. Um, yeah, it's maybe when we get to 1980, maybe when we get to 1980 in our votes, it will come around. I kind of highly doubt it. Hmm. I don't think it's held with high regard among a lot of people. And like I said, I can acknowledge it's it's kind of a shit film. Um, (laughs) but, but just something about like, I don't like it necessarily for the movie that it is. Sure. But I just enjoy watching Robin Williams in it doing like perfecting his craft, doing a role <laughs> that I'm not sure anybody else could do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can imagine that role would be would be quite something. I am what I am. <laughs> um so my thought the next question that I would ask you. How do you feel about the ending? And I feel like there's two ways to feel about it. The first is, you know, when I'm watching it, even this time, you know, there's times I'm rooting for uh, the couple to reconvene, you know, where they're Mrs. Doubtfire and Sally Field are sitting at the table with each other and she, Sally Field lists all the bad things that happened and Mrs. Doubtfire says, oh, but there must have been some good things too and you know, there you get little hints of like, okay, there is a history with them. There's some things that were good about their relationship. So, you know, in the cliche, everything wrapped with a nice bow at the end, do you wish it would have followed that? Or do you think that would have been a missed opportunity with what we get in the actual film that exists on Earth as we have it, that it's more reality-laced, um, emotionally powerful, um, you know, where we have this character where she says, I'm a better person apart from Robin and, uh, you know, just the tale of parents being good parents, but just not good for each other. And 
just you get a bit more of an impactful message as a result of it. Where where do you land on it? I know you love this movie, so I'm not saying you would want to change anything, but just of those two camps, where where do you lie? Um, so my answer has changed over the years. So when I was a kid, I did not like endings that weren't the cliche happy ending, right? Because you're a kid. You mm. want everything to work out. And yep. and you've got that Disney princess point of view where true love is true love. <laughs> and that's what a happy ending is, right? Yeah. Um, parents are meant to stay together and kids are meant to eat the candy and life goes on. Um, and an example of this, like, so that always kind of irked me. Another example where I couldn't like where this has changed for me was it was my grade eight Ottawa trip. So in Canada Mm. or specifically in Ontario, it doesn't matter what school you go to. It seems that come grade eight, your school packs up and they head to Ottawa. Did you, you did that? No, because really? I actually, yeah, I went to school in a different province at that age, so I was not <gasps> okay. part of the. So but I've heard in, about this. I'm familiar in Ontario. With what so, what about. province did you go to school in? Uh, Northern. I don't want to tell you. No, 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 no! Come on. No. <laughs> like a prairie or a maritime prairie. Uh, so you all went to like, oh, it's your grade eight stampede visit. <laughs> And you got a free rancher's hat. Yeah, I mean, what the hell else is on the what? What the hell else is in the prairies? We're gonna go see an oil rig today. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, okay, so anyways, in Ontario, yes, uh, for grade eight, your school packs up and you hop on a coach bus and and you go to Ottawa and you see Parliament, you see a war museum, you go to Rideau mm. Hall and see the like the home of the Governor General and. Sure. Yeah, you, know, you just like all these different some science centery bullshit, um, and I don't know why this was part of the Grade Eight Ottawa trip. The only thing that I can figure out is that they were like maybe something else that they had planned, some sort of tour got canceled, or they just didn't know how to fill. They didn't know how to fill all our time there. But we went to the mm. movies. We got to go nice. see a movie. Yeah. And there were two options for you. You got your choice. You could go Mm -hmm. see this or you could go see that. And, and one of them, this is going to age me a bit in grade Mm -hmm. eight. One of the options was uh, fast and the furious Tokyo drift. So the third fast and the furious movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other option was the Jennifer Aniston, Vince Vaughn. Oh um, yeah. Romantic comedy, the breakup. Yeah. And, um and and without a doubt like like pretty much straight across the board all the guys went to go see Fast and the Furious and all the girls went to go see The Breakup it was just kind of how the division of our class worked but i wasn't really big into car films and stereotypical guy stuff and i hadn't seen the first two and rumor had it <laughs> you got to see Jennifer Aniston's butt in the breakup. So grade eight me was like, I'm going to go see the breakup. Like, <laughs> You get to see naked Jennifer Aniston in this. That's, that's count me in. Um, so I went to go see the breakup and sure enough. But so at the end of that film, they mm-hmm. spoil I mean, it's been out for 20 years. Um, they don't get back together. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Like, that's just, that's not, that's not a happy ending. It's not a happy mm-hmm. ending. And it was so yeah. hard as a kid to see a, a movie where, where a couple breaks up. If they don't get back together in the end, then that's not a happy ending. It was hard not to see it as anything other than that's, that's an unhappy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I've grown and aged horrifically, mm-hmm. um, uh, that perspective has changed, right? And you go, oh, this is a realistic ending. This is a real ending where people have moved on with their life. Mm. They have found purpose and they've found meaning and they've found happiness despite no longer being in the relationship that they were in. Um, And they've found a way to still communicate and to be friends. And Mm. and maybe there's hope down the road. Mm. Maybe they'll rekindle. Mm-hmm. But that's not a part of this story. Right. And and this is what it is and and this is this is how real life works. And honestly, had they gotten back together, I think it would ruin the movie. Mhm. Because yeah. I think it would just feel too cliché cookie cutter finish. Yeah, of course they got back together. No, mm-hmm. there was nothing you know, like Robin Learned how to do household chores. <laughs> he was less involved in work and and found more time to connect with his children in a responsible, reasonable way. Not a violating their grounding and throwing a house party kind of way, but in a real, like, parental child mentorship way. Mm-hmm. Um but a lot of the problems that were there that caused them to get divorced were still there. Right. Like those things yeah. hadn't changed. Yeah. And so simply getting back together would not have would not have been realistic or smart. So no, I, I honestly as a kid it irked me something fierce. <laughs> right. As an adult, I'm like, this is a brilliant ending. Yep. You you did not go after the low-hanging fruit when you totally mm. could have. Fair. Yep. Yep. What about you, though? No, I, I agree. I think, you know, emotionally, the knee-jerk is, let's have something where they get back together. But then you lose the weight and the emphasis of the message that's told in Mrs. Doubtfire's montage and at the end of the film of just, you know, bringing encouragement to children who, you know, are feeling that it's their fault or feeling that these things are their fault when their parents are arguing or or upset. So, no, I I agree. Like, it would cheapen the movie and it really has layers and really rings true the way they've, they've wrapped it up. Yeah. Uh, My last question, and not the last thing to talk about, but the last main thing, anyway. The last things are just rapid fire for me. What are your thoughts on the concept that there were, I, there was, who knows how close it got to being made, but there was talk about the cancelled sequel 
Um, I guess the first thought of it was in the mid 2000s and then it kind of trickled in again in the early 2010s. And sadly, obviously, we know the passing of Williams, but Chris Columbus, the last conversation he had with Williams actually was about this project of talking about a, a potential sequel or what it would look like. And I don't know how I feel about that as far as if it needed to happen. Um, but an interesting point that I read Chris Columbus saying was, you know, unlike a lot of sequels that take place five, ten, however many years later, it would have been a unique sequel that just because of who Mrs. Doubtfire is and the prosthetic ability that mm-hmm. it takes to create her, like there wouldn't have been a transitional change for the audience to get used to. It's not like, you know, seeing one of the kids growing up in a sequel or some such is just, you know, who yeah, she would have, she would have appeared the same age. She would have been appearing the same. So how do you feel about a sequel? Like, obviously, we never got that point, and it's been it's completely off the table now, but where do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it depends on which sequel, which canceled sequel you want to talk about. Mm. Um, so in 2001, 2000, 2001, um, Bonnie Hunt actually began developing a sequel. Um, And uh, Robin was set to return and, you know, everything was going great. Mm. And then stuff, they started writing the sequel in 2000, I want to say two, maybe 2003. Um, But then it just kind of sat on the back burner for a bit. In like mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, they began rewriting it because... Robin wasn't super like he wasn't happy with it. And it was kind of one of those things like Robin had said, um, if it, if I don't think it's worth doing, I'm not going to do it. Um, which is the right answer. And you can't do another one without him. Yeah. Like it's just not, (laughs) you you know, um, then sort of early 2010s, um, during an interview, Robin talked about the script not being right. Right, people were asking him, like, you know, where is it? Is it going to happen? And he said, "Ah, this, you know, the script's just not right. They've written it three or four times, and it's just not, it's not what it needs to be." Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, in 2014, and I remember this, um, <laughs> they announced it. They announced that hmm. the sequel was in development, and they were working on it. And Williams was coming back, and Christopher Columbus was coming back. And um, Matthew Lawrence and Lisa Jacob and Pierce Brosnan were coming back. Oh, um, wow. What was interesting was Mara Wilson had no interest. So yeah, Natalie okay. yeah. was was not going to return. Um, but by 2014, Mara Wilson had pretty much stopped. Like, she was done acting, right? Sure. She's not in anything anymore, really. Um, and then, yeah, after he died... After Robin passed away, Christopher Columbus just basically came out and and said that, um, you know, it's it's not possible without Robin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, we're not gonna do no. we're not gonna do another because because yeah. we can't do it without him. Yeah. So, um, a sequel. It's hard to say. You know, like I think had a sequel come out in the early 2000s. 
Had a sequel come out in the early 2000s, it would have come out when I was like 10, 11, 12. And I would have been young enough just to accept that this was Mrs. Doubtfire 2. Mm. And so you just kind of roll with it. And it's just like, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just kind of roll with it that it's it's the next film. Mm -hmm. I think in 2014, I was equally excited and equally dubious. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, it's like you think back to like the first Ghostbusters. Right. By the time I was born, there was a second Ghostbusters. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so you don't question it. You're Mm. just like, wow, there's two Ghostbusters movies. Um, And had they released another Ghostbusters when I was eight... You know, you're not you're you're too young to really catch wind of these sort of of productions. You don't understand mm-hmm. that they're developing something, that there's a another one coming. All of a sudden, there's just another one. And when you uh, when you're eight, you may not even know that it hit theaters, right? Yeah. Just someday you're yeah. browsing through the video rental store and <laughs> and there's a new one, right? And you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas now I'm the age where that stuff, like I can weigh in on it and I have feelings and concern, like I'm, I'm emotionally mature enough to have concerns and understand (laughs) development processes and understand how hard it is to get this right Mm -hmm. after all these years. Um, I don't know. I mean, is the first one perfect as it is? I would say yes. Yeah, I would agree. Had they followed it up with another one right away? Uh, you know, had it been the same director, the same mm. writers, the same mm-hmm. cast? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I have all the confidence in the world. Not that it would be as good or better than the first one. Sure. But that, that we would, you know, in 2023, that we would acknowledge that we have a worthy sequel. And cherish it to a, even and, if it's a lesser extent, we'd still cherish it. Yeah, it would still be, you know, it, it would be the follow up. It would be part two. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if Robin were still with us today mm-hmm. and they announced it tomorrow, mm-hmm. as, as they are doing with so many, like Carl and I talked about that on the, on the news show this week, just this like onslaught of legacy sequels that we're getting 20, 30, <laughs> mm-hmm. 40, 50 years after the fact. Um, I would be extremely cautiously optimistic. For sure. I would certainly go see yeah. it in the theater. Of course. I'd be first in line. Yep. Um, but I would be highly critical. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, I, and I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want mm-hmm. to be highly critical because mm-hmm. I acknowledge that that hurts my my chances and my potential to thoroughly enjoy it. Um, but I can't help it. Yeah. Right? I can't help. Yeah. You know, and it's not even, it's, it's so bizarre because it's like, it's not, there are films from the time I was a child or before that I discovered as in my late teens or a young adult that I acknowledge are, are fantastic. I acknowledge are lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would be completely open to a remake. 
or mm-hmm. a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, sure, do another one. But there are films, even if they're not highly regarded by the general public, that are intrinsic to my childhood, that I have an emotional and nostalgic attachment to, that make it difficult for me to wrap my head around the next one 30 Mm. years later. Right. It's like after years and years of, of talks and, and scripts and script rewrites and shelved scripts and, and whatever else, Brad Pitt's production company is finally moving forward on a new Beetlejuice movie, a sequel. Hmm. Right. And they're talking about, you know, they're, it sounds like they're doing everything right. Like Winona Ryder and, and, and Michael Keaton. But I can't help but worry. Like, just, you know, Please, please, please understand what it is that you're that you're dealing with. <laughs> understand that you have my childhood in your hands. Hmm. And I, you know, I don't know what that says about me. I don't know what kind of sick, twisted, warped childhood I have that I consider Beetlejuice my childhood. <laughs> Beetlejuice and Adam's family, and I just wonder I turned out the way I did. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. Had they made one when they first intended on making one, I think I'd welcome it with open arms. Yeah, that's because I'd be too young to know the difference. Yep. Um, does the end of this film beg for a sequel? No. No, it no. ends in a perfectly no. well wrapped up with a bow kind of way. Yep. Have there been films that have ended that way and have still gone on to make incredible sequels? Absolutely. Have there been films that have begged for a sequel and then delivered flaming dog shit on your porch? Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It um, It's not a film that needed a sequel. No. And I think maybe even by 2014, quite possibly, it would have been far too late. Yeah. No, um, that's a good point. But had there been that. one... Oh, we would have watched it. Had there been one closer to... The mm-hmm. release of the first one, I think I'd, yeah. Yeah, I think I would have been there for it for sure. Yeah, no, I think I would mirror that. I think yeah. I would mirror that. Yeah, cool, cool. Where else? What else do you want to cover? Because well, I, I wanna, the last things that I'll go through are just rapid fire at the very end. Yeah, well, I want to touch on just sort of a cute memory. Yeah, from when I was a kid. So there's a sure. I it, this movie's so like. <laughs> it's so smart in its humor and it's it's really yeah. well done and yeah. and the makeup's incredible and it's it's humorous and extremely quotable. I find myself quoting it all like <laughs> specifically the whole time. Like I quote <laughs> Sally Field at that at that restaurant at like Bridges at going bridges. out of style. Yeah. yeah. Like it's going out of style. Um and oh, it was a runaway fruit cart. <laughs> like, I saw the whole thing, and oh, it's so good. Um, it was a drive-by fruiting. Um, <laughs> but there's one line that you know, as a kid, you like mispronounce things, or you misunderstand, you mishear a movie line, and you quote it wrong, but you're too young to know the difference, right. and your parents kind of laugh at you and think you're really cute when when you do it, but you don't know why they're laughing and you just continue to quote it. So there's a scene 
during the dude looks like a lady, the Aerosmith's dude looks like a lady um, sure. montage where Mrs. Dalfire is walking down the street and she gets mugged. Some guy tries oh, yeah. to take her purse and yeah. she scares the shit out of him. Like it's not a <laughs> successful mugging, yeah. um, but he breaks the strap on the purse and Mrs. Doubtfire's line is, he broke my bag, the bastard. <laughs> well, as a kid, that's not how I heard it. Because I, I think as a kid, like, bastard hadn't even entered my lexicon of words. So I, you know, I think my brain was like, well, it can't be that. And it's like filling in, it fills in the blanks. It like, what's closest to that? And oh, that's what it must be. And so as a kid, I would quote that line often. And for whatever reason, I mean, I'm like five or six at this point, right? And I would say, he broke my bag of pasta. <laughs> because I didn't. And my mom would laugh every time. And I think secretly they were just relieved that that's how I was quoting. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wasn't saying bastard at five, six, seven years old. Um, yeah, but God. yeah, that's, that's a fond, when I watch this, that's a fond memory, fond memory for me. Uh, but yeah, what a star studded cast, like Robin Williams, mm -hmm. Sally Field, who's not a nobody at this point. Oh yeah. Pierce Brosnan, who I'm pretty sure is already James Bond at this point. Is he not? He is not. He's he is not. not. Ooh, but he's about uh, to be. Goldeneye, yeah, Goldeneye was in 95, so he's a couple years away, which okay, I he's found surprising. I would have thought he was mid-Bond at this point. But he's got the look. He's cool. Oh, he's got it. Like, he's at, he's at that age where mm. he's he looks like Bond. Yeah. Um, Matthew Lawrence, who is not huge at this point, but has been acting for like 10 years in various jobs and is part of the Lawrence family of actors right it's a it's a well-known famous family of actors mm -hmm. um the lawrence brothers mara mm -hmm. wilson we talked about who is yep. Yep. you know goes on after this to be to be the bee's knees of, <laughs> <laughs> of the acting world really mm -hmm. um we've got we talked about harvey firestein as right. uncle frank uh and that it, it, see that's one of those jokes that as a kid, and it's not even, it's weird because nowadays it wouldn't, it wouldn't play as a joke. But in no. 1993, mm -hmm. when they asked, who did this to you? And Robin Williams says, Uncle Frank and Aunt Jack. Right. It's a hilarious yep. line. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. And as a kid, you don't get it. And then no. as an adult, you do get it. And then yep. now it's like, okay, what? So there are they're a male gay couple like what's, mm -hmm. what's but 1993 that line was golden mm -hmm. um you have ann hanny as mrs selner and i think she's fantastic <laughs> yeah. in this this role the oh, other thing yeah. that she's i mean she's in a lot of things the other thing i know her from is she plays greta who is um jim carrey's secretary in liar liar ah uh, yes yeah um, but yeah, just a star-studded cast, fantastically, fan ca fantastically cast, fantastically written, um, well directed. I mean, you've got you've got Chris Columbus, right? Yeah. Oh Who, yeah. And not a lot of people like Chris Columbus is one of those names that I feel like 
in the 21st century has fallen into a little bit of obscurity. Mm. Um, but let me let me give you a little rundown here of Chris Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's not talk about producer credits. Let's just talk about directing credits because that's sure. that's what really matters. Um, <laughs> first thing he ever directed was Adventures in Babysitting. That's amazing. Um, Home Alone. Oh yeah, Home Alone two. Yep. Mrs. Doubtfire. Nine months Solid. with Hugh Grant. Hmm. Uh, Bicentennial Man. Hmm. The first two Harry Potter films. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. The hmm. the Lightning Thief. Yeah. Um, Pixels. The 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 Adam Sandler movie. Mm. Um and the sequel to the Christmas Chronicles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I mean he's Yeah. He's not a nobody. He's not a nobody at all in the in the world of the world of film. And then you look at I mean his producing credits are 10 times more impressive, right? Christmas with the Cranks, Rent, Night at the Museum, The Help um the witch he was executive producer on the witch which i won't hold against him but i know that excites you um yeah i mean the man's the man's on fire he's all over the place he is so no i mean mrs delfire i think is is damn near a perfect film yeah that's fair. yeah damn near that's fair uh hit me with your rapid fire yeah cool okay uh, so yeah, I, I just love a, a moment that really stuck out to me from a comedic perspective that I just never really appreciated before was the whole caseworker Robin Williams, Mrs. Doubtfire moment where he just has all these one liners where, you know, he's talking about a job and let me bring you abreast of my career changes where he's removing his girdle or he, he's taking out his false teeth and he's like, yeah, I've got this job I can sink my teeth into or I don't have to save face. All these like one-liners that I never realized just were like so comedically timed. And I felt like that was just a good representation of this film of just being so on point as far as humor and wit and well-written and Carpe comedic dentum. timing. Seize comedic- the teeth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Which apparently, oh my God. <laughs> apparently at Bridges Restaurant, that whole teeth bit falling out was actually kind of impromptu, like was not planned. So, oh, I'm like, sure. It just Robin's threw the type off. of yeah. Robin's the type of guy that there is no <laughs> blooper until he, oh yeah, until you can't possibly help it. Yeah. Right, like he's he was extremely professional in that sense that he knew how to take anything and roll with it. Well, and I as guess, long as everyone else could keep a straight face or as straight a face as the scene needed, then right. we could still save this and we could make it better than it was ever written. And I think this happened must have happened a lot, but I when I was watching the interviews with those child actors at the time, they uh, the scene where they're all talking as a family and I forget what Robin Williams delivered, but it was after he broke off the Mercedes symbol and gave it to Pierce Brosnan. 
where he did something off the cuff and was unplanned and like one of the child actors laughed and they were you know they were worried that they had ruined the take and i can i can only imagine that whether it were the adult actors or the children actors that that would have been always a recurring problem where they just something caught them off guard because of something he said and just would have been oh my gosh i hope i didn't ruin a take because yeah um because we were dealing in film it wasn't just like delete it and keep going yeah bloopers cost money yeah uh you know what shout out to the sun who reminded me of the 90s wear a shirt that's like three sizes larger than you need that like goes to your knees i forgot that was a thing with t-shirts back then um also wild that they were like i think they refer to mrs doubtfire as a 60 year old woman and i go what like she looks way older than 60 that's just me that's rude. um maybe she drank a lot <laughs> in her maybe. 40s the drink did kill her husband yeah well, uh, it was a it was a it was a guinness beer truck, truck. It was, guinness yeah. truck was it a i guinness forgot truck yeah yeah they name they name dropped don't they they did yeah. Uh, I forgot the reason that he actually quit his acting job. And I forgot that because I thought it was supposed to be this transient, you know, actor who's just kind of like flops out of jobs. No, and it's I forgot honorable. that it was like, yeah, it was like an honorable, like, you know what? You did the right thing. Yeah. Budgie the parrot doesn't smoke. Yeah. And my last point, I just love San Francisco as a backdrop in film, both geographically, just the hills and like, just it's crazy. The hills, like in this house where your, your driveway is like on this super, like incredibly angled street. Yeah. But there's, thank there's, God they don't have snow. Cause... Oh my Lord. <laughs> just can't even, but yeah, you, you've got this, you've got the rock. I think junior set in San Francisco too. So I just love movies with the backdrop of San Francisco. I just, there's something fun and quaint about it. So that is, yeah, just the hills and the architecture and the homes too, I would say. Just, it's fun to watch. So that is, that is all I have to say. All right, sir. Well, what did you watch this week? Well, shouldn't we rank this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do that? Would you give it on a scale of zero to 10? (laughs) I gave it an eight out of 10. My gosh, it's a solid movie. I would actually see this in movie theater someday. I know it's not like a visually effects heavy movie, but it is a cherished classic that if I paid for a babysitter to do all those things to get out of the house and see this in the theater, I wouldn't regret it at all. So an eight out of 10. What do you give it? Because you said it's dang near perfect. So it's got to be close. It's a 9.8. Solid. Wow. Very close to perfect. Very yeah. close. Did this make it in your top 10 films? No, I don't think it did. No. No. Okay. No, but, but I mean. But it's a dang near perfect only because there's Only because there's too many films. Of course. Yeah. Like, it's top 20 for sure. Fair enough. And I no. mean, you know, if you asked me tomorrow to to rank my top 10, it it might very well. Sure make it into the top 10 right yeah. it's just too there's just it's just yeah. too many movies to do a top 10 yeah just sure. too many movies it's too many all right sir what'd you watch all right well this week the what i watched actually will coincide with the vote so i talked about i wanted to watch free willy because it got some voting options and it rang my bell so i'm going to talk about free willy and the what i watched this section and you said you've never seen it not i i mean I've seen the scene where the whale jumps over the wall. 
Wow. Like, like you know. There goes the... I mean, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen the scene where they free Willie. Or they so, I mean, to. I feel like I've seen it. That's... Yeah. I don't... I don't know, because I feel like... I feel like the plot of Free Willy 1 and the plot of Free Willy 3 is probably like, you know, it's just like, oh, and then it happened to another kid. Like it's it's like prison break where they somehow I don't know. He's get like, back what? put he's in like jail. A troubled, and... He's like a troubled youth or something. Well, he's let like me a... tell you. Let me tell you what it's about. Hold well, I'm on. just no, I'm just trying to tell you like whether cuz maybe I've seen it. Oh, but I yeah. don't okay. know, right? Let me like, tell you and you can you can okay. see for rings a bell. All right. So when orphan Jesse vandalizes a theme park, he's placed with foster parents and must work at the park to make amends. That's where he meets Willie, a young orca whale who has been separated from his family. So the whale senses a bit of a kinship here and both have this commonality of being separated from their families. And as a result, the boy and the whale form a pretty exclusive bond, unlike any of other, any of the other park workers. So, I watched this, and again, this must have been a week where I just appreciated the backdrop of backdrop of films because I also really appreciate the Pacific Northwest in film. Like I love Washington State, BC. The I I loved this backdrop as a film. Um, I feel like for the 1990s. It was one thing, you know, nowadays when you've got planet Earth and all these things where you could find like stock whale footage to use. But I feel like this movie must have blown a lot of money on a budget for all the whale footage that they used in the wild. Like just it was impressive. It was fun. And I I, I would just say, you know, at a a different time, that probably wasn't cheap to do Um, because it's easy to go whale watching and like see nothing. So, I mean, it's kind of like fishing. You're at the mercy of the fates. Um, as far as cast, it's got some interesting faces. It's got a couple that I appreciate. Um, but the two that stand out, the caseworker for this child is actually Bubba from Forrest Gump. Uh, Makita. Yeah. McKelty Williamson. And this would have been pre Forrest Gump because I think Forrest Gump was 94. So... That was interesting. Also seeing Michael Madsen in a fatherly role. I've only seen him in thug movies of Tarantino. So I've saw him in Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill, volume one and two. So seeing him as a quote unquote father figure was quite, quite different. And I, I, I was there for it. I would say as far as how the movie holds out, how it stands up, this kid is the main character is such a conceited brat. It gets a little straining after a while. I'm like, okay, kid, get over yourself. You know, it's all, he, he, he misinterprets everything for everyone against him and him against the world. But the nineties nostalgia was strong for this movie. And, you know, I, there's things that aren't accurate. You know, they free a whale and, I did a bit of research, like, it takes insane amount of preparation and its complexity upon complexity complexity to transition a whale to get back into the wild successfully. And sadly, I think the whale that they used for this film, they tried to do that, and they did it properly, like, they, they did all the transitional steps, and sadly, like, a few years later, it died because it just kept trying to, like, go back to humans for food, and it had been captured too young and been too long in captivity. So I guess my point is... The movie, you know, 
has some inaccuracies, has some character annoyance with the, the main character, but the 90s nostalgia was strong. And the last thing I'll say is it's cool. And it's it relates to that necklace that you referred in the third movie. There's something that they tie to the whale in this, that it's not just a boy, it's not just a whale in a fish tank. There's a timelessness and a majesty that they give to the whale in this movie. And there's one of the the characters who shares an indi- indigenous lore of the whales and their origin and, and how it relates to, you know, uh, this whale and looking right into the soul of the boy. And, you know, it... I thought it added to the companionship with the child and it was touching and it gave it some really neat backstory. And I was actually there for it. You know, I watched this as a kid. So watching this movie, I was getting some nostalgia bait going on throughout the whole movie. But this aspect of just this timelessness added to the whale component made me really appreciate it a little bit more. So ultimately, a fun movie, Walk Down Memory Lane. I gave it a 6 out of 10. Wasn't good. It wasn't amazing, but it was definitely fun and you know worth watching. And I guess added to the star power, the end credit song was a Michael Jackson song. So that's like I'm again blew the budget, blew the budget probably on contracting out Michael Jackson and getting a bunch of whale footage. But uh, it was a fun, it was a fun movie. Walking, walking down memory lane. What did you watch this week? Oh, that's it? That's all you watched? Well, in the interest of time, I'm probably going to limit it and just say Free Willy. Okay. Um, well, I... Other than Mission Impossible 2, which is a plug for another episode that came out, yeah. I don't think I watched any movies. Um, Okay. No, that's not true. I watched, I rewatched The Shape of Water. Oh, I've never. Is it good? Obviously, if yeah. you're rewatching it, I guess it must be. It's um, it's different. I mean, it's a Guillermo del Toro, film, right? So with yep. that comes a certain <laughs> amount of of different <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's different. It's well known it- as the movie about a woman who has sex with a fish. And <laughs> yep, and I mean more or less, that is what it is. Um, okay, but it's good. I mean, it's got Michael Shannon in it, um, who I'm a big fan of, and mm. so yeah, I I mean I enjoy it. Um, what else did I watch? I in the last month and a bit. In preparation for Carl and I reviewing The Bad Batch season oh, two, yeah. I watched all seven seasons of The Clone Wars. Wowzers. Um, and the first season of The Bad Batch. So I watched eight <laughs> seasons of a show in the last month. Insane. Um, so I watched that. Oh, and then I hope it was at least worth it. It w- I, I think it was, yeah. Okay, good. And then... Um, and then Brianne, my girlfriend, and I have been watching a little while back now. We started rewatching Two and a Half Men. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And we've just, like in the last two days or three days, reached the part of the show where Charlie Sheen is gone and now it's Ashton Kutcher. Oh, yeah. I do remember that occurring. And eh, I don't know. We'll oh, okay. See. 
This is I had seen I had seen everything up until this point several times. Mm. Um and I've seen I think the first season or the first chunk of the first season with Ashton maybe once. Um so for one of my favorite sitcoms growing up, it's we're now in uncharted waters. Mm. Um so we'll just yeah, we'll have to see. I don't know. Cool. Cool. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. I think that's it. Right on. I think, I think. Wrap it up, sir. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you for voting if you did. And if not, check out our vote next time and, and uh, have your say. Uh, like, follow, subscribe. All our socials are below. Please give us a good rate and review wherever you're listening. We do appreciate that. And check out our Patreon page. It's a way for you to get some perks whether it be exclusive access to the occasional bonus show or the occasional live stream or, you know, getting your say uh, if you're a bit of a higher tier about some movie voting options and getting some increased voting power. We do appreciate it. And uh, other than paying for our flight to Russia, uh, the, oh, that it's not a good joke right now for... Uh, yeah, what the, where are you going other with than, this? Other than making for our... To pay for our flights to Hawaii for the Movie Men retreat, it actually does just actually cover the costs of podcasting. We're not here to make a profit. It's just... Uh, it's not free to make a podcast, so we do appreciate the support that we get. And uh, stay as tuned. Little, and- as little as a dollar a month. It does make a, a difference, and we do also- very much... Oh, hold on. We do very much appreciate those who do... Support us on Patreon already. Also, even in non-war times, what the hell kind of retreat do you think we're having? <laughs> I, I was just trying to pick something that was like so ridiculously not true that like we aren't actually spending a couple thousand bucks on flights. But then as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, ah, oh, wait a minute. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. Winnipeg. Okay. Winnipeg. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> But yeah, thank you for listening and join us next time and stay tuned for some upcoming votes. And speaking of movies that Pete would see in the theater, mm. cause you, you said you would see, uh, you'd see Mrs. Doubtfire in the theater. <laughs> in the next, like, I don't know, let me look at the calendar. One, mm. two, three. In like three and a half weeks, <laughs> Pete and I are seeing are- Mrs. Doubtfire. Are gonna go see Mrs. Delphire. We're gonna go see the re the 3D 4K re release of Titanic. <laughs> Pete is finally making the venture all the way down south to come see me in the the grand old city of Toronto. Yeah, and we're gonna go see this in the biggest screen that I can find to show it to him. In. And I don't even if we I don't know if we'll do an episode on it, but even if we don't I do an episode, so. you can bet oh, your ass to. there'll be a segment. We Somewhere. have to. I think. I think we have to do an episode. An episode, and talk, even so. though we've talked about Titanic till we're blue in the face. I mean, <laughs> it made its way up on the 007 episode. What's one I'm more? Sure. Yeah. yeah. What's one more? It'll <laughs> cool. be good. So, until next time, which I'm not even entirely sure what that will be. I think the next time you and I talk, we're reviewing the next Scream film. I think so. Yes. Scream three. Yep. So. Scream. Scream three. Tokyo Drift. Until then, remember, once the father of your children is out of the picture, (laughs) the only solution is total and lifelong celibacy. Celibacy. Celibacy.